I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Harrison Boone podcast. And we're live here with Max Markson, the man that can get anyone famous. I can make anybody famous. Give me a call. 0412-501-601. Small plug. Um, you're probably going to get a lot of phone calls now. I'm sure I do. I've had it when I do it on national television. That's when it really goes off. Like all sorts of weird calls. And well, this and is an international podcast. So yeah, absolutely. Your phone's going to blow up, no doubt. Nothing wrong with that. Um, maybe... I put a post up the other day when that fire, you know that fire was on last week? Yes. Yeah, so, the one in Surrey Hills. Yeah, so it was over the road from me. So I'm in the office and... Uh, Where were you at the time of the fire, Max? Well, I'm sitting in the office, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. working. And after my office went, I'm leaving. So, okay, yeah, I kept working. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to put a video up. So I did a little video there. So I think it's time for me to leave now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I put it out there. And I've only got a few thousand people on my Instagram. And... Uh, and then the next, the next day I saw about 1,900 people, which is a lot from, you know. And then my daughter rang me up and said, you've had over 100,000 people. I said, no, it's only about 2,000. I said, look on your video page. I went, where's that? And click on there. It's had over 140,000 views. Wow. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. And it was only like 15, 20 seconds because there was a fire there. And I was like, you know, it was like quarter past four. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how, um, how quickly that news spreads now like social media i saw i saw the fire the fire in the apartment complex yeah i saw that on social media before the news outlets report mm-hmm. on it so the speed at which we get information now has changed it's wonderful yeah well it's wonderful but also um the speed and the reach of social media also has so many negative drawbacks to it in the in the sense that people can reach you now that were never able to before like going back say to my, to when my parents were my age the only way someone could contact you is if you gave them your phone number mm. and then they have to ring you while you were at home that world we don't live in that world anymore different world now we live in a time where i can send you a message straight away via instagram or facebook 
um, whether it be positive or negative. I know it's so hard. Instagram, yes. Facebook, text messages, something else, WhatsApp. I mean, it's impossible now. I think people are overwhelmed and can't handle it. There's so much information coming at them, you know, and they're reading stuff. They're watching it on TV. They don't watch live on TV anymore. Ticket sales, you know, no, no more do people buy newspapers. They will do it online. No more do people watch live TV as they should because now they'll watch it when they want to watch it. So for people that don't know, you've been in publicity, public relations for, is it 40 years now? I started my business in 1980. I started working. Uh, I, f- I failed my exams so at school. More than 40 years. I, yeah, I, was, I, I started promoting BBC Radio 1 disc jockeys in England and I was 17. So that's when I started working. I wanted, to be, I wanted to be a chartered accountant, but I failed my exams. The guy said, go and study them again. Like, you can do it. I never did. You're way too charismatic to be an accountant. Um, the question I've got is quite a broad question then is in that amount of time, in those in 43 years from 1980, 2023, uh, 43 years, in that amount of time, how much has the landscape of public relations media changed? Because people coming into that, coming into the, the industry now would have social media and all those things at their fingertips that weren't available to you back then. Like, I would imagine, and I'll let you answer the question, was was marketing completely different back then to the way it's done now? Publicity, Publicity. is much more different. And it's so much easier now. In the past, if you got a story in you know, the Daily Telegraph and, and they did a horrible story about you, you're stranded. Now, anybody can stick the knife into you and you can go and in less than 140 words if you're poking on Twitter or video and you just you know, put them down and, and you correct them uh, and say, look, yes. you, you got this wrong. You have the right of reply via of your own platform now. Yeah, and, yeah. and the other media get behind you because they've made a mistake. So I, mem- I remember this with Leighton Hewitt, the tennis player, mm-hmm. and, uh, and somebody had written a story like in one of the magazines, like might have been a new idea, put a story of his wife with a guy, huh, Leighton Hewitt's wife's out with another guy. <laughs> Less than 140 letters, says, yeah, it wasn't exactly another guy, it was her brother. <laughs> so like, you know, and then all the other media just hone in to stick it up, new idea or whatever. Yeah. So the power now is, you know, somebody can write what they want to write about you, but you can correct them and you put them back into the place and the other media supports you. And it's not just the other news media, not like we're on TV or radio or, or, or in newspapers or magazines or online, but it can be as you as a social media person, even if you've only got zero followers or one follower, you can put it out there and correct it and people will pick it up. I've noticed when online media outlets have come at me for things, I've noticed how quickly you can correct the narrative either by posting on your own social media and saying, no, here's my side of the story or, or providing evidence to correct the narrative or even contacting rival news outlets. Like the, the media travels so fast now and mm-hmm. I feel like people's attention spans for media is so much smaller. So to go back to your example of uh, Leighton Hewitt, Beck Hewitt with the, with the negative publicity, that might have been in people's minds for a week or two weeks back then. 
Now, when people read something negative, it's in their minds for a day and the media moves on to the next story and the next big thing. Um, even like uh, going outside of my own experience in the media, like that fire in Surrey Hills that mm. we're talking about, the media's already on to other things now. If I go on to news.com or whatever, it's all new stories. Uh, They're not covering that. that fire anymore. You say that, but like you know, yesterday, it was all over the media again because they were pulling down the building then. And I remember ringing, you know, my daughter's got a TV show, right? And and I rang up and said, oh, do you know this? I said, yeah, it's been all over the media all day. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. the, all the TV crews are there filing the copy and sending the stories up there. It's been all day because they pulled the whole building down yesterday. I, f- I find, uh, I agree with you. I just find that I think in those circumstances, it's a bit of a slow day for media if they're covering a building being pulled down. I feel like... Oh, um, no, that's a big story in Sydney. It is that's big, yeah, yeah. Surrey Hills is the heart of Sydney. It's the central railway station. And it's like a serious story. That was a big story. It ran and if I feel all, like Taylor here, Swift's nipple fell out while she was going grocery shopping, that would be all over the media and no one would be covering... Taylor who? Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, just as an example, if, if something like that happened, that'd be like... All over the news. There'd yeah, be but no it's not one a news story. It's not, no, it's not a news story. It's not on Channel 7, 9, 10, ABC. That is not a news story. That's a celebrity story that will not make the lead news story. So uh, you, you uh, don't think that celebrities can make the lead news? If they're a big star, yeah. If they've been on Married at First Sight, no. <laughs> yeah. no I'm, being, yeah. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. Yeah. You know, it's Some stories are big, some aren't. And I remember getting home and I said to my wife, I said, you know, this will be a lead story tomorrow. I said, no, I didn't. What is it? I said, there's a fire going on. I, I don't know about it. I don't watch TV. And I said, I'm telling you, it'll be front page of the paper. And it was. It was front page of the Daily Telegraph the next day. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with so you. So if it's a it, news makes things, like I did a thing last Friday. It was a big MMA fight. Nobody gives a damn about MMA. But if you like UFC and you like MMA, yeah. you love it. Yeah. And, uh, and these guys wanted to do publicity. I said, sure. And they had a guy who you've never heard of called Sam Miles fighting. He was the first fight. It was his debut fight as a you know, professional fighter. It was enormous. Why? Because his father is the current deputy prime minister of Australia. Okay. So that's how it makes the news. That made the news. The connection. And, and even though it was at 7.30 at night... So all the on a Friday night, they've all closed. They sent a crew down there, which they fed for all the other TV crews. So that was that was the news. And the Herald Sun came and ran it. And they ran it within half an hour of it making online. So it's you know news is an interesting app. It's not just about celebrities. And if you're a celebrity, great. Or if you want to be a celebrity, great, because you'll get coverage. You'll get mileage, but you've got to then make it work for you. Can we go back to very, very junior Max Markson? Because I think there's a story here about you growing up and I, I kind of want to... I used to have hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get to the hair. Um, so I, I've read that you started off attending swimming swimming functions with your father as... What's a spot boy? My dad was a, a, a high diver, diver. A diver, yeah. And then he opened up an aqua show, which is like an ice show, but in water with synchronized swimmers and divers. Oh, wow, okay. And that's what he did for a living. So I, when I was, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, I used to be on the spotlight. And of course, they'd be in the swimming pool and uh, so you'd be con- you'd be controlling the light that you'd be the be spotlight, on your and I'd be with all the big diving boards at one end, and there's a stage at the far end, and there's you know, a thousand people in there, and I'm doing the spotlight. 
because then I'd fall asleep. My dad would just have to wake way up because it had gone dark there and it was all lighting here and I'm fast asleep. You'd give me flashbacks to helping my dad in the garage with a spotlight, you know, bent exactly. over a motorbike or a car or something. Exactly. You know? So that was your job was to control the lights yeah. at five or six years old, which yeah. is like essentially what the audience is watching, right? Yeah. So you had the main job. Well, I wouldn't say the main, I was just on the spotlight, you know, but that's what I started doing. Mm. And then my dad died when I was fit died when I was 15 years old and I came home from boarding school to live with my mum in Bournemouth on the south coast of England. And uh, So the catalyst to leave boarding school was the death of your father? Yeah. And, and was my, he looking after your mother at the time? Oh yeah, they were together. My mum, my dad was, I was only 15, right? And he was on the Aqua show when we were living in Bournemouth. When, when you say looking after your mother, I, I, get the, I, I get the impression that she wasn't well. Is that no, she was fine. She was, she was fine. fine. But I felt I needed to go and Oh, you felt like you wanted to be with your mother. Yeah, it was the right and, thing to do. The right yeah. at the time. And school fees okay. were pretty expensive, so they couldn't afford that. Yeah, okay. like it's a different world. Yeah. And so, so I then got you, a... Were you supporting the family? No, I was working. No, 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 no. She, was, she, she had a home. <laughs> she was fine. Okay. But I got a job as the spotlight operator in the local nightclub. Okay. And I'd do that. So I'd cycle on my bicycle when I was 16 years old and go down there each night at 10 o'clock at night. And uh, that's how I started you know, then at the end of the first week. The guy who was the stage manager said, look, I've got a gig for three grand <laughs> or three, or for three, three dollars or whatever it was. Uh, you can be the spotlight, op- you can give someone else to do the spotlight operator for 50 pence and you can be the uh, earn three quid. So I became the stage manager and I would operate on stage <laughs> doing the lights and stuff like that. So, and then during, sometimes I'd have to MC as well. So I started that sort of game. And then... What, what age was this roughly? Because it was 15 until, was until... 17. 17. And then and I, 17, you went into the media. Yeah, at 17, I started promoting BBC Radio and Disc Jockeys. At lunchtime, I'd leave where I was at school. I'd go across and use the post, ring, putting money in the post office, you know, to make somebody call. And I'd ring up to book, deal, do a deal with an agent to book someone for 200 quid or whatever. And then I'd do right. posters and I started promoting BBC Radio One Disc Jockeys. That's what I did for the first. And then who were you years. booking for these fees? Big stars. Yeah, that'd be like, if you're here today doing it, you'd book Carl and Jackie O, you'd put the big names. For them, they were national radio stars. Right. Mm. So how were you getting the contacts of these people? I'd look up the agent, <laughs> I'd ring them up. And yeah. I'd just do it on the phone. So you were almost doing the agent's job for them in a sense. Well, I was giving them money. Yeah, yeah. You know, 200 pounds and. And so we'd find the money and we'd book it. And we did it every week, all during the summer in Bournemouth. And I'd put posters up and I'd post, go into night, all the restaurants and clubs and shops which were open. And I'd put posters up and give them a couple of free tickets. And, and there was a guy who took my first pound in business, <laughs> a pound ticket, funny. It's, um, it's interesting to hear that you were driven and motivated to book talent and try and look after talent at such a young age and then getting into the media and in the radio stations. Yeah, and pop groups as well. I, I, I remember hearing this song on radio, this would be in 80, 85, the following year. Sorry, 75, God. Right? <laughs> and, and I heard this song on radio, which went like this. I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You sexy thing, you sexy thing. It was hot chocolate. And I booked him for a thousand pounds. And- Is that uh, big money? Yeah, and the, yeah, a thousand quid, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, not what it's worth today, but it's thousand pounds then. I'll get the inflation calculator. And sold out, and so I paid them actually another five or six hundred quid and made money. So and I, I used to, and I started putting bands on as well as BBC Radio One disc jockeys, and I did that for four years. And I came here for a holiday when I was twenty-one, and that was in nineteen seventy-seven, 
And uh, I'd only been here, funny how I found these uh, clippings the other day. I'd only been here five or six weeks, had this idea to do T-shirts for the federal election campaign of 77. And I had a story in the paper in the Australian. Then I did a news conference and you know, I hired a PR company and we sold T-shirts to the Liberal and Labour parties and we sold them into David Jones and Gowings and retailers. So. And so, so you, you've come over to Australia. What, how old were you when you came over? 21. You were 21? I turned 21 in June. I got here on September the 4th, 1977. Okay, you got you came over here twenty one. Then one of your first jobs essentially was doing PR management for the Liberal and Labour Party selling. T-shirts. No, I was selling them T-shirts. You I was, I was making T-shirts. I, I put an ad in the paper and got somebody to put money up, yeah. and I, I did that. And then I worked for an importer for a year, and then I was told to get out of the country three times. Right? Why? Well, the first time <laughs> I went and um, renewed, I had three months. Asked for another six months, they gave it to me. Then I said, "Can I stay here?" And they said, "No, you've got fourteen days to get out of the country." So then I went and enga- got engaged to someone, which was illegal. I wouldn't really get engaged, <laughs> right? And I went. So look, I've got engaged to someone. I bought a ring, and I said, "No, you haven't." And I said, oh, okay, I haven't. And then uh, I spoke to this guy who's still alive today. Who was a fake engagement? I love that. He was a barrister, and he said he tried to help me. And he uh, was opening a place at King's Cross. He had a big hotel there. And, uh, and he knew that I'd done discos and stuff. And he, why didn't you do? And I opened a nightclub called The Zoo. And I was the head zookeeper. And that was at King's Cross. That's hilarious. That was, I was, yeah. What sort of clientele was at The Zoo? I put a different celebrity on every week as guest DJ. So I'd have personalities. I'd just find local personalities. And uh, then there was a girl. Were celebrity DJs a big thing back then? No, but celebrities were. Yeah, celebrities were so that that so and I put that in the media to do that. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty um, yeah. outside the box. Was it stuff. successful? Yeah, and uh, after about uh, two, we started in August '78. In October, we had to move further down into William Street, 150 William Street, because we were doing too much business. And then I'd have I'd close the doors at eight o'clock in the evening, so you had to queue up. So every time if you came on a Saturday night or whatever, it was, there was a queue. Right? We let open the doors after half an hour, and they'd come in and it'd be packed. Funny. And then uh, what sort of, uh, can you name names as to who the celebrities were, if you, if you remember back yeah. that far, to who you were having on as DJs? Brooke Shields, Evil Knievel, uh, just yeah, big movie stuff, big uh, yeah. sports stars, cricketers, all the cricketers used to come What's down Brooke there. Brooke Shields like? Well, she was only about 16 or 17 at the time, and she'd been getting, doing a deal for someone uh, making a movie, and somebody else would bring them in to do a record, and I'd pay 500 quid to get her to come be guest DJ, and she was fine. She was, and we got obviously in the paper. Nobody we did anything, the media kept picking it up. There's a girl who was just t- came back from, uh, Australian girl, and she was Miss World, all over the world, not just Miss World Australia, Miss World, called Belinda Green. And I finished up managing her. I had her on, every time I put her on, a place packed out, and then she wanted to manage her. I so wonder I st- why. And I started representing her. And then a guy called John Singleton rang up, and he wanted to, to go on his, uh, he was doing a TV show, and wanted to be on there, and I did a deal there. And then he finished up marrying her. <laughs> Nice. So when did you start? Because it sounds like a lot of the stories are getting um, mixed. So so you had the celebrities and they were, you were DJing and, and generating business for the nightclub. And then you started managing some of the celebrities as well? Managed Belinda Green for a while, but then stopped. Uh, gave up the disco stuff. And uh, then I joined 2WS, the radio station now at Seven Hills. And that was in 1980. Okay. And then was there for two years, and then I started my business in 1982. And the business 
this is the business that you're still running today? Yeah, started in 82, still do it today, 41 years later. I started just doing publicity, which I still do today. My main business is getting publicity for people and setting interviews up on TV, radio, magazines, online. So I started doing that. And then I got involved with uh, Variety, the children's charity. I was helping them raise money. And then uh, Singo rings me up and wanted me to roast him for his 50th birthday in 1991. I did that. And he rings me a year or so later and says, I've got a guy called Johnny Raper. Johnny Raper was a big rugby league star. Yes. He he didn't earn much money in the 50s and 60s. It wasn't professional sport. He said, can we do a function for Chook? I said, no, I was happy to do it for Variety Club. I said, no, we'll pay you to do this function. So I organized this function. And uh, Singo emceed it. Alan Jones did a tribute to to Johnny Raper. Ray Hadley did the auction. Uh, I had uh, a guy who used to live in Maroubra, funnily enough, Des Renford. He swam the he swam the English Channel nineteen times before wow. he, before he found out there was a ferry. <laughs> and so Des used to do the grace before the meal, uh, yeah. and we finished up giving Chuck seventy thousand dollars at the end of the luncheon. So Singer said, let's do one of these every year for an old footballer. I said, we'll do it for an old sports star because Dawn Fraser didn't earn any money, much money then. So we did a function for Dawn and she got, and the committee became Singo, uh, Graham Richardson, the politician, Kerry Packer, and uh, a, a book publisher. And we finished up giving Dawn $240,000. Wow. And after that, the next year we did it for um, another sports star, Who'd, uh, who's died now, but who had uh, an illness. And she got f- about $280,000. Following did it for Raylene Boyle, had breast cancer. She got $400,000 or thereabouts. And did another one for another footballer. And then I started getting inundated with people wanting me to do fundraisers. And so I've now done over 200, 200 yeah, charity yeah. events, yeah. given over $40 million to charity. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, I brought President Clinton talked to me four times. Nelson Mandela looked after in 2000. Uh, President Bush Senior, Rudy Giuliani, Al Gore, Tony Blair, Mike Tyson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so many stars. I've been so lucky, so lucky. What's Kerry Packer like? I didn't know him well, so I can't really lay okay. claims to that. Didn't have much to do with it? No, the, the, I remember I being... Just find, I just find the Packers fascinating. Well, James I know better, but yeah. Kerry, the, when we did the... I did a private function for Nelson Mandela and Kerry agreed to, James agreed to host it and we did 20 people at um, $25,000 a head. Kerry bought, James bought six tickets, including one for Kerry, etc. And um, I worked out some names with him who would invite and he took some off and finished up getting 20 people there. And at that function, I remember I just, it was the f- Monday the 4th of September 2000, so the Olympics had just started, and I was on the Australian Olympic team as the assist, as the assistant media director, my voluntary gigs. So I got permission to leave it to go and do my function, and uh, and I'm wearing my Olympic uh, yeah jacket and all that. It was a suit, right? And so I was smart, and uh, and there's James' uh, father, Kerry Packers, there with Singo. And I'm standing next to him, and uh, they said, "Well, you got this Olympic gear." I said, "Well, I'm in the Olympic team." And all Kerry wanted to know was who's fucking who. <laughs> <laughs> I read a story once um, about Kerry Packer. He's a he was a big gambler. He was, and he went into a. I think he got banned from this casino in Las Vegas. He went into a casino and um, it was at a high rollers table, 
and this Texan oil guy was mouthing off to him. And then I think I, I, I'm probably butchering the story here, but I think Kerry told him to fuck off or something. And then the Texan guy goes, oh, do you know who I am? I'm worth $100 million. And Kerry pulls a coin out of his pocket and goes, I'll flip you for it. That's good. That is the most boss move I've ever heard. Mm. That he was willing to 50-50, $100 million just to shut a guy up. <laughs> Serious money. Yeah, but the fucking balls on the guy. Mm. Like when I read that, I nearly fell out of my chair. Yeah. Um, so in the process of these charity functions and, and bringing celebrities across to Australia and and, um, and endorsing them, who's been the most interesting celebrity? Like I, I know celebrities' jobs are to make themselves look interesting, right? And then I hear a lot of stories that, you know, you sometimes you shouldn't meet your heroes because you meet these mm. people and they're like super boring in real life or they're just kind of socially awkward or whatever, whatever it happens to be. But I think that there is always some truth to the fact that there are, you know, if, if a celebrity seems fun, they probably are quite fun. The, the bigger names they are, the nicer they are, I think. Okay. And I, I genuinely... You think the people trying to get to the top are sort of a bit more abrasive? Yeah, maybe amateurs. Yeah. 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 But Kerry Packer was a big star, obviously, but yeah. I didn't know him. That's why but, I'm such an asshole. But <laughs> just trying to get to the top, right? But there's, you know, President Clinton. I love President Clinton. Yeah. I used to have great times with him. And oh, I did not you know, have sex with that woman. Well, that doesn't he come did. up. You don't Fuck have that Monica. conversation. You definitely do that. <laughs> and did he tell you how he did it? You don't have that conversation. Oh, come on! Know? That's the first thing that no, I'm no. talking to him no, about. Always polite. I'm, 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 always pol- I'm always polite with people. I'm yeah, but I want the juice. You know. Yeah. And he was fantastic. But there's, you know, Schwarzenegger's super smart as well. Oh, you'd have to be. Look at what he's done in his career. One of the most successful people of all time. Right. Across so many different areas. Correct. Sport, business. Because he made millions on property before he went into the movies. Movie stars. Married royalty in terms of for the US with the uh, yeah yeah you know, I get, his I get wife the, yeah, and and then getting into politics as well becoming you know the governor of California I mean tremendous great guy and I was really you know brought him here in two thousand and thirteen so it's ten years ago actually this week or next week ten years ago and uh, I was I had great times then and then the Arnold Sports Festival finished up being here and I looked after. The PR for that in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. Hmm. So that was really special as well. I've always wanted to meet him. There's very few people that when I hear them talk, they give you goosebumps and so send the chills down your spine. Yeah. And Arnold Schwarzenegger for me is one of those people. Um, there are so many interviews of his and, and um, things that he's promoted for protein companies and things mm. like that that are online. When I hear him um, talk, there's a there's a video that he's done, or a series of videos that were sort of amalgamated into one long video on YouTube. I think it's called The Blueprint to Success. Yeah, he's got a book coming out in October, actually. His next yeah. book's out. And um, and he talks about, um, you know, you can't climb. Like, he's, he's got seven rules for success or six rules for success. I can do it in about five. Yeah. One, have a vision. Okay. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's five tips for success. Here's anybody listening. Here's your here's your take home for Here you. Here we go. Okay? Five tips he's, for success. It's even been condensed condensed for us. Um. Yeah. Because otherwise it's a forty five minute talk. So one, have a vision. Okay. 
Two, don't listen. Oh, One, have a vision. Two, think big. So your vision might be, oh, you want to go into the movies or you want to do something. So for him, he wanted to become a, uh, wanted to go into the movies and he wanted to be a bodybuilder. Two, think big. So not just any movies, wants to be a leading man in movies, not just any bodybuilder, want to be a key, top bodybuilder, in the, which he became in the world. Three, don't listen to the naysayers because everybody always tells you you can't do that, you can't do this, you know, you're not going to work. So don't listen to the naysayers and just believe in yourself. And then fourth, work your ass off, really work hard. And that's what he always did. And fifth, give back. There's five tips for success from Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I'm sure he wouldn't be. <laughs> you can watch it on TV or radio and you'll see a much better speech than that. But there's the five tips. He, he says something that I've never forgotten, and that is that you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. <laughs> and to me, that translated to no one's coming to help you. Like, pull your hands out of your pockets, get them dirty, make money, you know, build your own life. And yeah, it's always stuck with me that if you want to make something happen, you have to do it yourself. Another one, another tip for, another tip for those listening or watching. Jack Cowan owns Hungry Jacks, okay? And Jack says, one of his lines is, don't wait for the boat to come in, row out to it. That's a great line. That's a great line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you want to, you know, if you want to be on that, on the easy street, it's all the hard work to get there, right? Just work, just work. Anything yeah. you want to do in life, you just work. Pick the phone up, make the phone call, go and meet someone, work, that's all. Those, those acts that you booked and those fees that you were collecting, those acts weren't going to book themselves for BBC Radio, were they? No. And but, oh, they came, weren't doing gigs themselves. Yeah, but, but they weren't. They I weren't want them in Bournemouth yeah. during those, yeah, exactly. that summer to exactly. make money. Exactly. And then when you came over here, those celebrities that you obviously would have paid an appearance fee to, they wouldn't have booked themselves for that. Well, like, a lot you, of them weren't even to, working like that. Yeah, and then it built your business. Yeah. Like those, those things you made happen. No one... No one did that for you, right? You, you got your hands out of your pockets and you built yeah. a business. And now you have a PR agency that you run and you're still running. Who are you, who are you looking after now? I know that you're looking after Jess Power from Married at First Sight, is that I right? I was texting with her last night as well. <laughs> so, so yeah, so look after, I mean, Alan Jones, who represent yeah. him, do speaking engagement for like him. Like Alan, yeah. Jana Pittman, okay. who I first represented before she became famous in 1999, 2000. And then again, about two or three years ago, I started representing her again. Um, but the, my main business isn't really management. It's publicity is my main business, you know. So today, you know, I did this Hex Fight Series 26 in Melbourne. Not that I went down to it, but you know, they normally have like 1,400 people. We have 1,900 people there and we have a load of publicity. So I filed the report to them today. They've got all the clippings. Uh, we're doing a big thing for uh, an ASX-listed company, BCAL, Breast Cancer, uh, which they're, if you want to buy shares, they're probably a good place to buy now because they're at nine cents. But in next year, hopefully, uh, they'll be really helping people with breast cancer and solving problems. Uh, so they're working for them. A launch, uh, Build Your Dreams, BYD, the, uh, their car company last year, and did that. So speaking to them at the moment on some of the other stuff. Uh, I look after various companies who have all sorts of products. So I'm, I'm lucky. I'm really am lucky. I wouldn't say lucky. I'd say you've, you've worked hard to get to the position that you're in. 
I still think I'm lucky. <laughs> Nothing, nothing's for free. You know? Yeah, but, but I think I think I'm I've been blessed by this city, this country. Yes, uh, I've the media are really supportive of me. Uh, I think I, I get a good. I just run. think you make your own luck in life. No, I'm happy to take that as well. Yeah, yeah. I um, I just think like saying someone that's worked hard to get somewhere and then calling them lucky, it actually it devalues all the hard work that it took, mm. right? Like I, I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger is lucky. Uh, to give an example of someone we've talked about, I think he's a guy that worked his ass off to get everywhere that he's gotten yeah. in life. Um, I think that life hands you a little bit of luck along the way or you make the most of certain situations. That You've got to think positive. I really believe yes. in that. Yes. You have to really, th- you know, I always try and think positive. Mm. You know, you don't want to put people down. You don't want to be horrible. Just be positive. That's a really important thing. I think my blood type is O positive. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. So I'm always positive. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to make an impact or build an online brand or yep. become an influencer in today's marketplace? It's obviously saturated with people trying to do that, right? What advice would you give to someone that wanted to, yeah, like say, say they've got a product they want to release or they even want to become an influencer themselves or they want to build a brand online. What advice would you give to someone like um, that? I, I definitely, for their own social media, be really active in it. Start putting stuff, posting more than you do, right? If you post once a week, then start posting twice a day. If you do one uh, Instagram story a week, start doing three or four a day. Put content out there. Just put loads of content out there. Talk about your product. Get hold of all your mates. Give them first some samples and say, plug it for me. Promote right? it. Yeah, promote it. So getting, if, getting people to promote. Of course. And then course. content. Yeah. And give them angles and give them money. If you've got some money there, give them money. And bonus them up. You know, and let them, if they sell some copies, give them, give them money. Put, invest in yourself on it. So you've got to, but social media, it's free. And it's not just, oh, I'm just on Instagram. Great. Now go and be on Twitter. Now go and be on LinkedIn. Go and be, just put, just put a video up on YouTube. It's all free. It doesn't cost you a penny. It's fantastic. Push mm. stuff out there. Don't start a podcast, though. That shit isn't free. It, it is. Costs money. Uh, well, it costs you a bit of money for a few stuff. <laughs> and then just do your videos and do your stuff and put it out there. So content creation, bonus structures, or at least some sort of incentives with friends, yeah, giving course. them products as well, yeah. as is, I, I suppose is an incentive, and uh, being across the entire marketplace in terms of social yeah, media. Yeah, don't just be on Instagram. Not one, not isolating yourself to no, one form of social media. Be on Facebook, be on everything. And there's so many different places you can go and do it. Can you saturate the market with content? Impossible. <laughs> impossible because nobody's going to listen to you or watch you all the time they just don't but you if the content is there they can right is well hopefully they will hopefully they will but they're not all going to find you or know who you are right not right. everybody watches every TV show all the time so um, let's say someone wants to promote a new sunglasses company right and they start releasing all this content they're giving their friends free sunglasses you know yeah. they've spent thousands of dollars in the startup costs that would be associated with the sunglasses company <clears throat> and they're doing all of the right things but they're not gaining traction 
how would you advise them to gain traction, start building a following and, and increasing sales? It, it's not so much even building the following. It's, it's having, try and get some media coverage, come up with an angle, have, have, find a celebrity you can give it to who can wear those sunglasses or whatever. Find something that you can do that's going to be newsworthy for other people. Sorry, man, I'm just going to shut that door. That's fine. Pops! Fucking dog. Every time I do a podcast, <laughs> school kids walk past and make him bark. Nah. He's the best guard dog I've ever had. I used to live good. in, um, I used to live in, no, I wouldn't say a rough suburb, but. Where? I lived, um, um, what was the name of the street? Um, Oh, I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah, out in Marsfield, the back of Ride there, near Macquarie Shopping Centre. I know. And um, yeah, people got broken into me all around my house, never my house. Because the dog? There's shit scared of him. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. <laughs> I'll, show, I'll show you later. My first, you time, might, you my, the my first time was Weatherall Park. Oh, That's yeah, say no more. When I was That's work- just a big industrial area now. When really. I was working at 2WS, whose was my first house I bought. Paid fifty eight and a half thousand dollars for it, and uh, and sold it back two years later and lost money on it. I mean, I could lose money on the property. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my parents bought their first house um, in Erskineville for okay. like one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and that's gone up a lot crazy. That now. house is worth probably about three million dollars. There you go. I'd actually have. I'd be interested to um, do the current market appraisal yeah. for it, but. Yeah, last time I looked, it was just under $3 million. So probably around that today. That's the best thing for money. Buy property. Whatever else you do, buy property. Buy property and don't sell it. You can hold on to it. In the space of 30 years. It's great. What other investment is going to 10x itself in 30 years? Just buy property. It's crazy. Those those opportunities, though, are just gone. No, they're not. You can buy property now and they'll go up in value. Yeah, I can buy a $3 million house in Erskineville now. Well, if you've got Where money, the hell am I going to get but otherwise go and buy it further out in the suburbs. Otherwise go and buy it somewhere out in the suburbs, further out, go further out or go to another place. See that, it, it starts an interesting argument because now it then, that's the, um, now I have a lesser quality of life because of that inflation, right? Like mm-hmm. my parents didn't have to go and buy further out. Erskineville was still 20 yeah. minutes to the city, right? So if I want to have the same quality of life that my parents had, mm-hmm. I have to pay millions of dollars to afford it. They didn't have to do that. It's start, an interesting conversation. Start somewhere to have about else, buy it out. It'll go up in value. Then you will, and you'll start earning more money. And then you have to sell it and buy something more. And you know, just, just buy anywhere. People should buy property. Or just a crazy thought. Rob we a bank. get the Reserve Bank to stop <laughs> printing false money and go back onto a gold standard. Well, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back onto marketing. Um, something that, uh, something that, yeah, that probably more suitable for the conversation. Um, so yeah, so so back to the back to the uh, back to the conversation about someone launching a brand. So they're, they're not getting traction. They're struggling to make an impact in the marketplace, and they've got all of the right things in place, but they're just not. They're not converting any momentum that they're making in the social media space. They're not converting that to sales. How do you then go from converting? you know, eyes on your brand to sales, directly to sales. Come up with a fresh angle on it. Do something different with it. Make it seem that you don't want it. Send a few samples out to famous people, as in really famous people, right? You know, and you never know what's going to happen. And that's the thing. You've got to 
get get some samples out so that other people can go and post it on the social media. Other people can go and talk about it. And you know, <laughs> I used to send stuff to you know prime ministers <laughs> and overseas international stars. Some would actually use it, and when they did, I'd put it in the paper that so and so you know bought my product or ri- has written me a note saying thank you for it. Yeah. So think of think of where you want to place it. Push it out. Just you just have to work on it. Think, come up with ideas, different ideas, new ideas, novel ideas. Do funny things with it. Have fun with it. It's really important. Right. And the other thing is, everyone sits. Oh, I've only got you know. Oh, email your, email everybody you know. Oh, I only know a hundred people. Great. There's a hundred people. Now, have you got a computer? Yeah. How many email addresses on there is there? Oh. About 500 or 1,000. Okay, pull all those 1,000 people. There's 1,000 people. Now, you got any family? Yeah, I've got mummies and daddies and brothers and sisters. Okay, go to them. So you've got to help launch this product. Can I borrow, can I use your database? All of a sudden, your 1,000's gone to 5,000 people because you've got five mates who can send it out to their database. So just do that. It's proactive marketing. Yeah, and the other thing is, which I learned, God, 40 years ago, with a guy, I remember watching him speak. He says, who knows in this room who lives next door to them on each house? Oh, everybody knows who next door to them. Okay. Who knows who lives on the other side of them? Who knows who lives across the road from you? You're in a block of flats. You know who's in the units next door. Who lives the rest of it? Reach out to all of them. They're all people and they're all in your marketplace. So you just have to reach out to other people. Yeah, I learned a lot about that. Uh, one of the first jobs I had once I left school was working at a real estate agency mm-hmm. and nothing flash. I was just taking out sales for sales signs and being the doorman at open homes and things like that. Nothing, nothing flash or anything like that. But one of the things I did pick up was that the idea of cold calling or cold approaching potential clients. So door knocking, introducing yourself, giving a business card, all of those things. That's, that's like the bread and butter to a real estate agent. They, they, they're aware of all of these things. And you know what you can do? If you're a real estate agent, write out to everyone in your database to say, hi, I've got a house. And what I always say is, don't just write a boring letter and say, new house for sale. Put someone famous in it to get suck them in, right? So, you know, you might... Such and such has come through and viewed it or whatever it has been. Or, or even better than that, um, Prime Minister Donald Trump or President Donald Trump, put Donald Trump in there, right? Donald Trump is one of the biggest property owners in the world. Unfortunately, he can't buy this $84,000 flat that's available in Sydney, so why don't you buy it now? So you suck them in with something, give them a laugh, and then... Are you sure you don't work for the Daily Mail? No, I don't work for the Daily Mail. (laughs) I feel like that associative sort of marketing where you're tagging on the end of someone else's, you know... It works. Tales in it order works. To, to sell a product, it, it is very effective. I've been selling- slightly, slightly misleading, but yes, very Suck effective. Suck them in. I always do. Suck them in. So the the idea then being, and it comes back to the hands in the pockets analogy we were using earlier, is this idea of like proactive marketing to get your brand or your what you're trying to push to yeah. the market. Be proactive, right? Go out there and actually search for those sales. They're out there waiting. You just got to go find them, yeah? Yeah, just got to make a noise. Make a noise. Do you think that getting some sort of, at the risk of asking a super obvious question, media coverage for a brand or a person pushing a product, whatever it happens to be, 
there, there is a lot to be said though about the kind of media you get. Now, talking on my own experience, I've had probably the most exposure out of all of my cast members this year on Married First Sight. I've probably been exposed in the media the most um, from interviews or sort of articles being mm-hmm. written about me. Yeah. Not a lot of it positive, right? Some of it positive, like, you know, me being a great dad and all those sorts of things, great. Um, my time on the show was largely negative. And so a lot of the news articles that were coming out were largely negative because the media follows the trends, yeah? Of course. So let's say I wanted to use that platform in order to push a product. Now, the marketplace or where I'm trying to push my product to, they might already have a negative opinion on me as a person. So any product I push, they're just going to like, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that, that will roll their eyes and say, I don't know. And I'm, there's, I know that, I know for a fact there's a vast majority of people out there that are willing to, especially the people that follow me, are like willing to back me and, you know, are, are obviously like um, supportive. But let's say the marketplace has a negative view of you as a person, but you want to release a product anyway or you want to push something to market. What advice would you give to someone that has a, a quite a large following or is notorious, but is notorious in a negative way? How do you overcome that in start order to sell a product? Easy. Start yeah. doing some nice things. Go I don't visit, want to go, know. I, I, go and visit yeah, the children's yeah. hospital. Visit the kids there. Right. Mm-hmm. Take some gifts in there. Start doing some things for charity. Do some things that are nice for the community. They will then write about you in a positive way. That's what you need to do. Do that first. And then you can start plugging your product or whatever you want to flog and promote. And then yeah, will do that. So absolutely. you've just got to give back to the community because... What happens, you get pasted dreadfully from a TV show, so then you've got to be good. If you haven't got a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, find one. <laughs> go out with them. Even if you're not going to go out with them, really, go and do some photos. So it becomes another story, something fresh. Do something fitness-wise. Go and you know, swim across the harbour. Do something. Just you know, take your dog out for a walk. Do stuff which is nice and healthy. That will you'll soon get positive publicity. And that's what people need to do. And I, I often say this, you know. Is it possible to turn negative publicity Of course around? it is. Of course it is. And then how long do you think it takes for the public's perception to catch up to the media? Okay. So, people, you'll get there. Don't worry about it. Just move, keep moving forward. Don't look back. Boom, forward. Start moving forward. Do stuff that's positive. You've got a new product. We've got a new product coming out, right? I'm proud to be promoting it, and I've got my four mates who are going to help me with this as well because I need all the help I can get because people don't like me, but my <laughs> mates love me, right? Oh, yeah. Or I've got my mother. My mother loves me. Everybody loves their mother, and mothers love their sons. So even if you're perceived as being horrible, your mum will stand up for you and talk nicely about you. So you're probably <laughs> your mum. It's funny you say that. My mum actually has stood up for me. Um, bless her. Bless her. It's interesting. Even if you're horrible. Even if you're perceived as horrible and everybody hates you, you've got, you, you know that every, even that person, everybody has a family who loves them. They've got mums, dads, kids, brothers, sisters. Everybody, even if you hate it, oh, you've done this so badly, but you know full well that person has got a mate at home who cares for him or her. It's serious. Mm. It's, um, it's interesting that all of your all of your advice seems to be on not letting anything hold you back, moving forward, overcoming. 
And I think that's the hardest thing for other people that I've talked to that have been in my position on the back of negative media. And I'm not just talking on reality shows or whatever. Mm. I'm talking like I've met a lot of people on this journey all through like from famous people to not famous people, people that work in the industry, people that are sub-subcontractors to the industry, like from cameramen to soundmen, mm. things like that. You meet all people that come together to form the entertainment industry, the media industry. And yeah, I've spoken to a lot of people that have been on the good and the bad side of that. And it is hard for a lot of people to come back from negative media. One of the people that I see doing that the most coming back from I would say almost basking in negative media attention would be NASA, who's been on Married at First Sight. I can't remember how many seasons ago. The guy just seems to come back every season. But as a character, as a person, he thrives in negative media attention. I've met him a couple of times. Hilarious guy, very funny, likable, loves the scandal and the negative media. He doesn't care what you write about him as long as he ends up on the front page of the mm. Daily Mail somehow. Almost someone that's mastered the art of uh, attention-seeking, I would say. And it's interesting. I don't know what it is about him, whether it's just completely unrestricted narcissism or if he has just worked out that any any attention is good attention, any publicity is good publicity. But there are some people like I sat down with Olivia from season nine of Married mm -hmm. at First Sight and she got a very negative rap. I know, I advised her Lovely time. Girl. I was, I was I'm representing yeah. her. Someone who's really, she, Olivia has really struggled with under the weight of that and then coming back from that and sort of trying to, re-identify herself and I don't want to speak too much for Olivia on Olivia's experience lovely girl but yeah like not someone that bounced back the same way say NASA has what is it do you think that differentiates those people that can overcome negative media attention and those that can't I really believe that you just have to keep moving forward and thinking positive okay with NASA who I'm mates with and I my advice to him is always stop embracing all the negative bullshit that's going <laughs> out and just shut up for a little while and be positive about stuff. But he loves criticizing, criticizing, criticizing. That's his call on it all. And you know, I, I only look at these sort of things from a financial point of view and from a way of moving forward and making money. Because if you've got the profile, you want to generate income from it. And the way you do that is being positive because people don't want to use negative people in their marketing. So you have to be positive. And even if you've had some negativity, you can get through that to move forward. And that's what it's all about. So I see I see the media shifting on me personally now into a more positive space. I think Married at First Sight was so negative. And you spoke earlier about doing things for charity. Well, um, I've recently aligned myself with a charity. I've, I've Good. signed up to do a, a boxing fight. Well, this was before our conversation. So I'm going to say that I did this before you told me to do it. That's all right. Um, good idea though. Not the reason I did it. I actually am very passionate about sticking up for children. Mm. A lot of the times children can't speak for themselves. 
So I've aligned myself with a charity that provides crisis accommodation to children mm -hmm. in need. And that's my purpose going into the boxing fight is to bring attention to this non-for-profit and to make sure that the proceeds of the fight go towards that charity. Yeah. Now, and again, I just want to stress, I'm not doing this to try and recoup some image or any bullshit like that. It's actually something that I'm quite passionate about is, you know, children's rights and, and men's rights. Um, and so I think moving away from the negative media and then now the media is starting to cover the next stage of things that I'm doing. I do see not only the public, but also the media's perception moving into like a more positive space. I think that when you start off at rock bottom, you can only come up, right? And I find it interesting watching the change in not only the public, the way they approach me, yeah. people come up to me in public and say hello all the time. And at the start, when maths was on, they were very sheepish. They didn't quite know what they were going to get if mm. they came and said hello. Because I, I think I came across as quite sort of like masculine, aggressive, mm. like, you know, angry kind of guy or whatever. And then when people would come and meet me in the street, they'd be like, wow, you're nothing like what you're like on TV. And now that people are starting to see that that other side of me in the media and, and online, people are like, can't wait to come up and say hello. So you've got two great things about you now moving forward. One, training for the fight. So you've been doing heaps of training stuff where it gives me to go and train with some famous people to so you look like you're training really seriously about <laughs> yeah. this, right? And that yeah. gives you a bit of a runoff. And then you've got a great dog. So start doing stuff with the dog. Go take some famous people out with the dog and use that and do pictures with the Any dog. Any famous people that want to come for a walk with me and my dog, just um, hit <laughs> me up in the DM. Use the dog. But uh, the, the reason I'm bringing it up is because... Because the dog loves you, doesn't the dog love you? <laughs> yeah. Am I right? He doesn't dog... have a choice. Exactly. So either that or I don't feed him. So, so there you go. You're in love with your dog and the dog's in love <laughs> yeah. with you. So that's a positive thing. Yeah. The the reason I bring it up though is because um, it is interesting watching how quick the perception can change once the media starts writing positive stories. Yeah. It's amazing how quick, and the, I don't want to say the, the public's easily influenced, but I feel, like, I feel like people's attitudes can be influenced by what they, what they take in from the media, what they absorb from course, the media. That affects people's attitudes towards other people, right? And so if it's always negative, they're going to naturally develop an inclination to thinking negatively yeah. about you. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. I think I think if you wanted to overcome, say, negative press, the only way to really the antidote to that's really just positive press, right? Yeah, be positive, spread the word, support people. I mean, I, I'd often someone you know me would often talk about X, Y, and Z person. I said I'm happy to. They come in and I give them a rap, even though the you know everybody else is negative about them. I'd give them a so look. They've done this. That's might be wrong or might be right or whatever, but they'll be fine. They'll come back from that. They'll do this, 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 and this. They'll be wanted. And I'm, I'm just so, I just think you've got to be positive in life. Do people ever come to you in a crisis situation that need rapid PR reversal, like need narratives flipped? Say someone's in a crisis of an image crisis where the media's constantly being negative about them. Do people ever come to you and say, can you turn this around for Sure, them? and I try and help them. I think it's, you know, and you just have a, find a fresh angle to it. Find a Kill, Yeah, find a, something positive moving forward. Always. Pivot away from what the media is focusing on and try and get them to focus on something else. Yeah. 
and that that would translate as well to someone that's trying to build a brand right like if they're if they're really struggling to crack into the marketplace with whatever it is that they're trying to bring to the market if it's not working would you say not to be afraid to pivot to try and divert no, that have, attention have fresh else? ideas have fresh exactly ideas. just put yeah. fresh angles onto it all mm. and and again don't forget even if you've got no money it's the it's all free on social media now facebook twitter instagram youtube i mean there's so much stuff you can just push out there you can push your own content out there that's what i think is wonderful about that that's so wonderful you didn't have that 20 years ago now you do so what are you focusing on now me what's yeah what projects are you working on at the moment i can't tell you all that yes you can no I can't I'm trying, yes, you can. I'm trying to do deals with like superstars from overseas to come and do stuff and I can't talk about that unless I close the contract and do the deal you know anything that you've but, closed but, that you can talk about no but um, <laughs> of course I can't <laughs> come on right? but like I'm enjoying doing publicity you know there's a guy called John Jones who you either never heard of or have heard of but in UFC he's the GOAT he's the greatest of all time he's the world you know undefeated and uh, he's the heavyweight world champion at UFC and he's coming in August Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and uh, Perth. So it'll be enormous. I'm looking forward to that and working on that at the moment. They're starting to really push the UFC more in Australia. Well, coming, yeah, in uh, the prime, the premier announced that in New South Wales, we've got three events in the next four years. The first one's in September. Uh, so this is in August when John Jones comes. He's also known as John Bones Jones. Right? <laughs> but he's got like 10 million followers on his Instagram and his Facebook. And he's a, he, he's a big star. huge, hasn't it? Yes, it's been going 20 years. But I mean, it's now, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I feel like UFC is almost a, like when I was growing up, you'd hear about great boxers, Costas you and Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Um, you know, even Australia, Danny Green, like guys like that. Um, you, you, boxers would be the famous sort of uh, combat sports people. Um, and then mates with martial Jeff Fennick. artists. Jeff would... Fennick I met in 1986. <laughs> right? And, you know, still fantastic champion boxer. Martial artists always seem to be famous if they're in movies. Yeah. Right? Now, martial artists are going into the octagon, getting paid tens of millions of dollars a Fortunes. year if they're at the top, releasing... You know, like Conor McGregor's releasing whiskey. and Yeah. It, it's like this uh, celebrity has really surrounded the UFC. Like Khabib and all these huge guys. Well, I did publicity for Khabib when he came. I did publicity, so, you know, doing publicity for John Jones. I did publicity for Khabib. All these UFC fighters I'd never heard of before. You know, GSG, is it GSG? Anyway, there's all these UFC guys who I'd never heard of, but they've got an enormous market. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much people are just really like going crazy for the UFC now. Mm. Um, it's funny, the training for the boxing, it's, um, it's watching a lot of great fighters and then how they move and then trying to emulate that in the training. And I've got to be honest, the boxing training is some of probably the hardest training I've ever done in my life physically. And the UFC, I imagine, would be I even think, harder again. Yeah, because that's it, not just throwing It's really vicious, that is. Yeah. It's way more, it seems way more violent. Mike Tyson was nice because I brought him into the country and did, did have I was about to ask you that. Yeah. Tyson was fantastic. 
just such I've a seen him interviewed later in life, let's say over the age of 40, mm. and he seems like a much different man than who he was in his early 20s. His wife, his wife's really been fantastic, Kiki. Mm. She's been amazing with him. And he's amazing in his own right. I had the best time with him, his wife, and he had two children under four with him and his mother-in-law. And I got them into the country. And, and we went on the road. We did Brisbane, that was six days, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. And then we, and we were flying around the country, obviously. And when we were last day, I remember, because I'd been <laughs> entertaining the kids and I'm teaching the kids how to be <laughs> penguins. And so just walk behind me with your <laughs> feet together and like that. And so, and I turn around to see if they're doing it. And sure, the two kids are doing it. And so's Mike Tyson <laughs> walking like that as well. It's all about having fun, really. I'm, I think that he's let go of a lot of his ego that he had. Like, you'd have to have an ego to become the world heavyweight champion. <laughs> he was really strong as well. I remember he was fighting. He was belting them like crazy, you know. But he, he seemed like... I've seen his early interviews when yeah. he was when he was at the top, right? And he was so aggressive, so aggressive, so much just raw, mm. untapped aggression. You could just see it in his eyes. You could hear it in his voice. He was angry. He just wanted to get in the ring and hurt people. And then later in life, he's like, he's just softened right up. He's like mm. a big teddy bear now. A teddy bear that, I'm sure still could kill you, like murder you in the ring. But his whole attitude has changed. And I saw it, I saw it change in his interviews when he was like later in his career and he was simply boxing to keep on top of his money yeah. problems and his heart wasn't in it as much anymore. I could see his attitude changing in those interviews where he's like, my heart's not in this, you know, I just don't want to lose to this caliber of fighter anymore. I'm not going to disgrace the sport by staying in it when I'm not, my heart isn't in it. To now, it, you could see the progression from this angry teenager to the man that he is now. It's almost like he's gone from, yeah, like unruly, aggressive, dominating champion to family man over the span of about 20, 25 yeah. years. What's he like when you're on the road with him, you would have spent a lot of time you know, in close proximity to him. Is he very affectionate to his family? Is he loving? Does he... Well, he took, I mean, he's, he'd spent most of his time in his room with his kids and his wife and his mother-in-law. And, you know, when he had to work, he'd come out. I'd, I'd, uh, I was paying him uh, a chunk of money to come and do the events. In addition, I was paying him a chunk of extra money to sign every day for me. And he'd come and do all that. He'd sit there for an hour, sign, you know, he sits there and we all fucking t-shirts and caps and belts and all that food as he signed. Merchandise for him to sign. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd do the photo line, which would go on for an hour. Then he'd come on stage. And the first night he came on stage, we didn't know what he was going to do or not. So I went out to sort of introduce him and start talking with him. And, and he just kept talking. So I just, slowly moved away from the stage so he could just keep talking <laughs> for an hour. They didn't need me there, right? And he just talked. And uh, he was fantastic. 
And then afterwards, we'd do a private dinner for 20 people who paid a chunk of money each. So we'd do that for an hour. So he'd work really hard. But when he was on stage, he'd sweat like crazy because he'd be kicking over the places here and this, like, you know, really bouncing across the stage. So he's still physical. Oh, yeah, physical. yeah. No, fantastic. And I remember, sorry. It's okay. So Tyson was fantastic on the stage, he was bouncing around. And, and at the, he only really came out of it, you know, he'd worked the four or five hours, but then he'd, we'd move city to city, obviously, but he'd be with his family all day long. Anyway, he came out, we got to Melbourne, and we had a day off there, so we went out on a boat. So he came with his uh, wife and his two kids. And then we were in Perth, and he came out of his room again to have lunch. And we had lunch, we were sitting there, and he said, this is the best week I've had. I said, you haven't left your room all week yet. We move on to this. So, oh no, the best time. Uh-huh. Like, and when he just arrived, I just got him, like he wanted some, some machine that they could watch DVDs or something. And we bought him that for and whatever, so he could play games on it and stuff like that. But he was just amazing, amazing man. Amazing. Did he have any interesting stories for you from his time? Look, I, I, you know, he opened, anything that he anything that he'd open up about. He, he opened every day on stage, saying, you know, that his his mum was was a prostitute and his dad was a pimp. Yeah, and that's the age of twelve. So that was his life. So he had a shitty life. He did, yeah. You know, there, and he managed to become the world's greatest boxer. You know, Crazy story, cool. right? Yeah, absolutely. And and you have to look up to that sort of guy. And then he. He obviously blew a lot of money and went up, went down, and all that. He blew a lot of money, you know. So yeah, but he was for my time with him. I had great fun. I spoke to his wife maybe a year or so. I was trying to get him back again because um, he fought again. Remember he fought again, right? Yeah. And I reached out and had an offer like three million dollars or something like. You know, and, uh, and his wife said, "We look, you know, we're you know we're doing this now, but if something comes up, we come up. We would love to come back and spend time with you again." You know, so. I, uh, I I think very fondly of, of Mike Tyson. Any other big names that you've so many? Where do I start? Jean Claude Van Damme and Mike Hurley. No, never Liz Hurley. No, but so many, so many people. Jean Claude Van Damme. Van Damme and Mike Swift. You know, he we brought him here in uh, 2016, and I <laughs> looked after him for about four days or five days. And had a TV commercial for Ultratune. I'd organised for him as well. But I remember he got in that morning, I was sitting in his room, and I'm saying, will you do a news conference today? <laughs> like, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. He said, yeah, I'll so make it at 2 o'clock. I said, sure. So I get hair and makeup to come in. Yeah. I said, and you're not going anywhere? So no, I'll stay here. So I sat there on the phone ringing around, because I'm telling the media, like, you know, this is in two hours' time, like, you know, like, which normally you try and plan it in advance. So I'm ringing around them all. and Anyway, so then I'm still working. They're organising a bit of lunch for themselves. And he comes over and says, do you want some tweets? He said, no, I'm all right. I said, oh, anything I have. You know, anyway, he went over and he got me a bowl of soup. He had, he bought me his own soup over for now for lunch. It was really nice for him. And we did the media stuff. Then at the end of it all, took back to his room. So I'm heading home now. And uh, he walked me, not just to his room, but he walked me down the corridor, get me in the lift and said, thank you. But, you know, like, nice and, guy. And he's always been really lovely to me. And I've always gone on well with him. And he'd Facebook, you know, come on FaceTime with you all of a sudden get a call. And he came back in uh, about three months later in December 2016 because he wanted, he loves Canberra and he's 
was passionate about He'd have to be the only one. No, he loves Canberra. Yeah, the passion- only one that loves Canberra. No, I don't think so. This is really <laughs> Canberra, right? and, and he was uh, passionate about helping animals that were facing the end of their lives and weren't going to ex- extinction. Sure. He wanted to bring them into Australia. So sure. we had a meeting with a few of the politicians there for three different meetings. We did all that. And, and he was great with that. And then next day we went off to Broken Hill for somebody who wanted to donate God knows how many tens of thousands of acres so he could bring rhinoceroses in there to live. And he, we just had, always had good fun with him. You know? Do they survive in Australia, rhinoceroses? I'm sure there'd be somewhere you could put rhinoceroses. There's a couple, at the zoo in Canberra, they had a couple there at the time. I don't know if they were staying there or not, but, 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 uh, but we saw the kangaroo, we, we all went and visited the, kang- the, the rhinoceroses there. I remember reading in the media ages ago, like one of the last spe- certain types of rhinoceros had okay. died in captivity. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really terrible when you read about a species going or a, a, even a part of a species going extinct. Like we'll never see it. Again. See, that's another good idea. If you've got a product you want to promote, go and do a little function with some dogs or some cats or some animals. People love animals. The media will all come and take pictures of that while you're promoting your new pair of orange sunglasses, which are great for dogs to wear and cats to wear. Or have an idea or feed. Or, or go, you know what I think would be a great place to go and do a news conference? What's that ice cream shop? This is the best in Sydney. The, that's, is it Messina? Yeah, Messina. Everyone goes crazy. For go and have a go and have a news conference at Messina because you can just take twenty people there. It's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks to feed everybody. And the media will come to get a feed of ice cream. Everybody will come and have an ice cream because you're launching this new T-shirt or this new hat or whatever. You have to run that task, Messina. Have, I'm sure. just, no, but you just pay the money to go in there and have a feed. You know, just have fun. And mm. you know, I've had a lot of fun last year because I've launched. Uh, I love how your mind works. You just create these things out of thin air, these opportunities that other people just would not think about, right? Like that's that's such a great idea is host an ice cream party, launch a product. Who wouldn't want to go to that? Just have a good fun. I had such fun over the last year working with uh, Sam Mustaka on uh, Mark Wahlberg on Wahlburgers, you know, from when... Uh, they're in Darling Harbour, I think. They're in Wahlburgers. Darling Harbour, they're in Manly. They're up at Byron Bay. They're in Surfers Paradise, and now also in Auckland. And I remember having, just as COVID was starting, I remember having a chat with Sam. I'm mates with him, and we're doing stuff with his restaurant, with his uh, hotel, and United Cinemas, a hotel chain across the country. And and he talked to this, trying to going to do deals with Wahlburgers. I said, great. Then of course COVID hit, and then it was all dead. And then in November that year, the story came out that Wahlberg was coming here. I said, oh, I said, let's do a deal with him. Close the deal. Let's do it when he's here. And we finished up, obviously closed the deal. And we announced it, which we met with him, had a couple of great meetings with him while he was here. And then we announced it in, uh, in the beginning of 2001. Got enormous media coverage. Mark Wahlberg was restaurants coming to Australia. Yeah. And, uh, I actually remember that. And the first restaurant opened a year later, which is 2022. And it's now been going 18 months and they've opened five. They've got another one about to open, a uh, second one in New Zealand. But just everybody loves loves going to nice restaurants or loves going to food places. So how, you've got to have fun with that. How do these deals occur where you sort of become the middleman between someone launching a product and then going to market? How do you place yourself in the middle of that deal? 
How do people find you? How do those deals come about? People, you know what? I don't chase people. But if people ring me up and say, can you come and talk to me about X, Y, and Z? I say, sure. So and I just say yes. So they find you and they yeah. ring you up and they basically invite you to come and help them yeah. bring something to market. I really don't make phone calls to people. I get approached by people and I'll say yes. And then go and try and make it happen. Make money, make things or get publicity for them or do whatever needs to be happening. Okay. Not everybody always wants to use celebrities. Some people just want to get publicity for their product and they haven't got a budget to. So, so Which is why it. I wanted to talk to you today because you, you seem like the best person to ask in terms of how do I bring something to market? How do I get an exposure for it? How do I get people's eyeballs on what it is that I'm trying to promote? And I just find it interesting that you seem to be the guy that's always in the background sort of making these things happen for whether it be celebrity or, you know, someone launching a product or, or like you've done a lot of work for charity. Are uh, you telling me you've done, was it 200 functions and $40 million has been donated as a result of that to charity? Yeah, correct. Incredible. incredible. What a positive impact that you've had. I'm so, you know, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky, you know. I, I find myself in great situations and I'm blessed. And I'm thankful for it. So I, I don't really, I don't really have anything else that I, th I think you've given me all of the. I've picked your brain for over an hour now, and you've given That's me just pleasure. nothing but gold. Well, then you can cut this up nicely. So it looks <laughs> good. Take all the rubbish out of that and go and chasing dogs. No, it's not like, rubbish. I, I liked it. And uh, have fun. I guess. I guess the last thing is just that you know people when they when they are freshly starting out. Not everyone has a Max Markson that they can call and say, hey, look, I, I've got this or I want to do this or I, I want to turn this around for myself or whatever it happens to be. So it's interesting getting your point of view on all of these different takes on things. And I think that when we see like a lot of things in the media where say a celebrity has been caught up in some sort of a scandal, it's really hard for them to come back from. I disagree. Um, it doesn't matter how bad it is, unless you murdered someone or something. Just, just move forward. Come up with some freshness. That's the biggest thing I've gotten from you today is just redirecting the attention onto something positive. Absolutely. On the back of any negative media. If you are already in a positive standing in the media and you've launched something or yep. let's just say you are, in a, how do you stay there? How do you stay in the positive frame? Work hard. Work hard. Keep doing what you do. Because it seems like when you're at the top, all you can do is fall down. No, you can keep climbing higher. <laughs> keep going higher. Keep, to keep doing it. Do stuff. Give back. Like Arnold says, what's Arnold's fifth thing? Yeah, back, first yeah. thing, yeah, have a vision, think big, don't listen to the naysayers, work your ass off, give back, help the community. Mm. Mm. Simple. If Arnold can do it, anyone can. Lastly, if you could give anyone advice now on, like any, any you want like, my tips for success? Give us your tips for success, yeah. Have a vision. Right? <laughs> Not the Arnold don't, again. Don't listen to <laughs> But I, I think think positive. Be positive. That's That to me... See, that doesn't come naturally thing. to everyone though. Well, then just add it. Put it into your life. Start doing it. Think positive. Are you a big... Do you, do you subscribe to the notion that there is a law of attraction in the universe that you can what you can think I don't about, understand you can that out. I don't understand that but if there is great but just think positive that's the, you know there's tips for success and one of them is think positive and persistence if there's only one word you remember from all this session today 
persistence. Put persistence into your life. Anything you want to do, persist. Persist, persist, persist. You'll win every time. Max Martin, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.